so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Welcome back to the official podcast of Pomate Calcio FC. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. God, day one, Papamate fans, y'all. Day one, Lightning Volt Energy fans. Welcome in place of your friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison. I'm the still friendly, although in a little bit of a, uh, it's a, it's a different brand of friendly. RJ O'Connell reporting from our Chattanooga Bureau. Um, I have, of course, Ryan King from our New York Bureau. Hi, Ryan. Yes, I'm currently enjoying a nice can of Lightning Volt. The official energy drink of Pamonte Calcio. You know that's right. You know, as a uh, as as a as one of the hosts of the official podcast of the European Truck Racing Championship, I, I feel it's important that we activate all the all the other brands that support us. Um, and speaking of brand activation, from our Indianapolis bureau, uh, in between Toronto, uh, coming back from Toronto is Christopher DeHarde. Hello. Uh, what a what a weekend. Uh, Toronto for the IndyCar race, driving back to, well, I went to Anderson, Indiana last night for the Red Bud 400 uh, Super Late Model Race. And coming up next week, the uh, Iowa Corn 300, well, no, it's not Iowa Corn, it's just the Iowa 300. So I got a lot of miles to get ready for my car. Corn's corn. not dead. Corn is not dead. Uh, the Iowa Corn may not be sponsoring this, but it's still corn. All, all, all the corn all the time. I'm going to see a lot of it as I drive through there on Thursday night to Friday morning. It's going to be a lot of fun, but uh, we got some great action in Toronto we just had, and I can't wait to go through it all. Yes. Chris will be joining us for our review of the Honda Indy Toronto and the Road to Indy including a dominant victory from Simon Pagenaud, all the events on the road to Indy, and of course, the driving return of the one, the only, Robert Wickens. And we also have with us Ryan King, accredited journalist of the Motorsport 101 podcast, coming back from the race that's literally in his own backyard. I'm so glad Alejandro did not kick me out. (laughs) Oh my god. Goodness, we had a barnstormer of a New York City EPRI, and King has been ready to go to talk about this one now that he has slept off that hangover and uh, <laughs> recovered from the thorough roasting from Monday's recording session. God damn it, I hate you. If it, if it makes you feel any better, we will discuss Jamie Chadwick on the show later on, because we'll look ahead to the week ahead, which does include the W Series, as well as IMSA, and, of course, Corn. In the meantime, um, places you can find us, we're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101, we're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101, if you want to follow us personally, for some strange and bizarre reason, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell with two N's and two L's, and at C DeHarde, that's C-D-E-H-A-R-D-E. And of course, your financial support at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 helps this podcast run and helps get 
It helps get Kane to New York City to cover the E-Pre. Uh, $5 gets you early access to every show. $10 gets you in the supporter section of our Discord. Ask us for invites, um, where you can listen to these shows live as they're being recorded. Joining us to start the show are the likes of Vic, Vincent, hey babe, uh, Brian, Cam is here, coming off of his appearance in episode 202, which you could probably listen to right now. Um, Toki is here, Steve is here, joining us from London, and Henry is here as well. And of course, hub for all of our stuff, podcast, rent material, videos, is motorsport101.com. Oh my goodness. Though, before we start, I have a quick anecdote, which I, I did not know how important the with the two Ks part was until recently, because oh. uh, my spot in the media center, uh, to my left, to my left uh, on Sunday was friend of the show, Shane Bear F1, and he was like, nice. hey, I want to tag you in a post on Twitter, I'm like, cool, but it's like, I can't find your Twitter handle. And I'm like, it's my name. And it's like, and, and Shane Fair replies, I can't find it. And it's like, how did you spell it? And it was not with two Ks. Oh, no. <laughs> it was See, quickly corrected. Yeah, it's part of the intro like almost every episode we put in. Stuart, we love you. Um, Chain Bear F1, go subscribe, click the bell for notifications. Check out his Formula E casual Q&A in New York with friend of the show and contributor Hazel Southwell. Um, and I, I suppose, Kate, you had a great time hanging out with the whole gang. Yes, it was, it was fun. It was chaotic. Things happened constantly. Chris, <laughs> was it true that um, Chris, was it true that while in Canada, Robin Miller went to a poutine place and just ordered potatoes and ketchup? You know, I can imagine him doing that. Uh, unfortunately, I was too busy walking back and forth from my Airbnb to confirm that. But I can tell you this much. Um, he definitely had a new laptop there, and it was uh, it was a bit more than what he was probably used to seeing. Um, I mean, then again, you know, given how old he is, I mean change like that can be kind of a big deal um i can tell you this much i tried poutine for the very first time in canada probably wasn't a good idea to go to smokes for the very first time but i can guarantee you when i go to montreal i'll get some better stuff oh that is fantastic you got any hot takes about tim hortons um ice caps are good but uh if you want a real hot take about tim hortons talk to matt weaver he thinks it's overrated that is that is Matt Weaver at AW, and of course, for for if you have any complaints about opinions about uh, fast food and uh, drink places on the show, you can of course uh, comment to our complaint section at Lewis Sutterby twenty three. <laughs> right um, on our last episode, which was recorded Monday, July fifteenth, two thousand nineteen, we had to dive deep into the uh, to the saga of rich energy. And the lunacy of CEO William Story and what he described as a palace coup to push him out of power. Folks, we have breaking news. The palace coup is complete. William Story is gone. We got him. Drink energy. There's only one thing that 
Drink. Energy. Drink. Energy. Drink. Energy. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and acquaintances outside the binary, we got him. Uh, Rich Energy has been renamed Lightning Volt. Matthew Kell is the new controlling shareholder. William Storr, no longer controlling shareholder, no longer director. He is out. Though, it is very awkward, the tweet they put out announcing it. Because it reads like William Storey wrote it himself. Huh. Like most of his other social media material? (laughs) Yes. It was very similar to previous posts made. Where... Where, uh, let me, let me pull it up to quote it verbatim, because it's, it, it's, it, it sounds like he wrote it. it. Sounds like he wrote it, because he said, quote, William Story, the founder of at rich underscore energy, has sold his majority stake in the legal entity, entity of Rich Energy Limited to a third party. This was, this was in disgust at the conduct of duplicitist, <laughs> duplicitous minority stakeholders. In the words of at Schwarzenegger, he'll be back. Hashtag Rich Energy, hashtag F1, hashtag Noble, hashtag William Story. He's still on his bullshit. He's going to keep this Twitter handle. He's going to keep this Twitter handle even as they're operating under a new company. Um... Now, interesting things being reported from Thomas Mayer of Formula Spy. Um, Rich Energy's new director is also the director of eight different companies in the UK, all of which were acquired within the last 10 months or so, and all of which were renamed upon his takeover. The new registered address for the former Rich Energy is the BDG Group in London, which clites themselves as unlicensed solvency practitioners. <laughs> this is... <laughs> Seems like this company's going down. I'd like to remind everyone that our our personal well-being, our mental well-being does not depend on this company. But this is by far some of the most entertaining stuff we've seen on social media this year. That's why I love what's going on right now with this company. Oh my god. It's it's the gift that just keeps on giving. Between between just the dumbest Twitter beefs with the likes of Top Gear's Chris Harris, White Bikes, who they cribbed their logo from, and eventually Haas F1 team, which has culminated in William's story busting out Microsoft Paint and putting its own face <laughs> in a milk truck. Oh, my God. And, of course, out of this... Uh, it made rich energy into a cell company, removed the black mark name, removed the CEO, and nobody gets any money. So there'll be a new name, but probably not for the team because they're still listed as Rich Energy Haas F1 team. Uh, so even if, you know, let's say if they come to Germany with lightning volt energy with a brand new livery, they're still going to be known as Rich Energy Haas F1 team, are they not, King? Yes, because that's what it says on their entry, and it is very hard to get your name, uh, your entry name changed. Uh, just look back to 2010 when we had Sauber entered as uh, BMW Sauber Ferrari, because by the time BMW had pulled out an F1, uh, it was it was too late for them to change their entry name. It's not like with uh, with other rich energy sponsored entities like like BN Racing, for instance, uh, who sponsor Indy Lights driver Toby Sowery, which I'm, which I'm hoping that this 
won't adversely affect him or anybody else at Haas F1 team, which, you know, obviously we're all we're all concerned for them because they don't they deserve better than this mess. I love the quote that came out yesterday from uh, from Gunther Steiner, and I just want to make sure I've got this I've got this right because uh, this was an entertaining uh, this was an entertaining tweet uh, when uh, when asked by uh, race fans Dieter Rankin uh, about the uh, the tweets. Um, Gunther Steiner said, "I don't really care about that stuff. If somebody gets on Twitter, you know, there's a point where it's like I'm over fifty years old. I'm not in kindergarten anymore. Not wrong." And Gunther Steiner is a man who will take absolutely no shit. Just ask Romain Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen after a team debrief. <laughs> oh, man. But what will be the legacy of rich energy in Formula One when all was said and done? The Do we want there to be one? And... <laughs> the, the memes. The memes. Uh, I'm pretty sure there there's still probably some unopened cans of rich energy out there. I know for a fact that someone on this show right now has a Rich Energy t-shirt. That's a collector's item now, Chris. <laughs> that is a collector's item. You have to frame it. You have to... I tell you what, you if you have a chance to go to the USGP this year, go get this signed by Roman and Kevin. And then oh frame my it. Get it, get it, get it signed and framed, so, and then just hang it up on your wall. Well, so as, as much one. as that idea intrigues me, I don't want to walk out with a broken nose. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be worth it. I think it'd be worth it. But yes, this sad, this uh, this strange, sometimes sad, never short for entertainment saga, has come to an end. There For is, now, at least. There is one benefit, though, to this whole situation. Every single public relations textbook for college has a sports chapter that will be rewritten with what not to do, and this will be the prime case study for all of that. I can almost guarantee you that. And if it, they, and if they aren't, then those publishers aren't worth the money that those, they're being paid for those books. You know, as a uh, as a as a product of Alabama Co- Common Core education, I, I don't know much about books. <laughs> y'all are y'all are like right next to us in education, and by us, I mean my home state of Louisiana. So I get it. SEC, SEC, SEC. I was about to ask geographically or statistically. Yes, it's all the same to me. I failed both. Oh my God! Um, to be fair, still, I don't know if we're better than Mississippi because all, all the Alabamians have to drive to Mississippi just to gamble. Fair enough. Although let's face it, there's a difference between the Deep South and the Gulf Coast. The Gulf Coast is Biloxi, Bay St. Louis, Mobile, New Orleans. The Deep South, everything more than twenty miles inland. Ah, uh, oh, and gosh. then there's Florida, <laughs> and then there's Florida. To be fair, Florida, we can separate into uh, the Panhandle and the Peninsula. But either way, Florida man, Florida man is universal. Damn right. Oh man. Um. So now that we have, uh, so now that we've covered the latest in the Wretch Energy saga, fingers crossed that this doesn't get any weirder by the time this episode actually does come out. Um, we're gonna take a short break and we'll get into the Honda Indy of Toronto.
is back on the streets of Exhibition Place in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. The lone flyaway, although, let's be fair, you can drive there from where you are. You don't have to fly very far uh, from most places in the United States. Uh, the only, uh, shall we say, international round on the calendar. Uh, one that still has an NBA franchise and a Major League Baseball franchise. And, uh, and yeah, what this was, uh, this is always going to be a fun weekend, but I think the one thing a lot of us were really looking forward to in the days and weeks after it was announced was seeing Robert Wickens, your 2018 IndyCar Rookie of the Year, back in a car for the first time since his accident at Pocono last August, driving a specially modified Acura NSX around First, some practice laps, and then on Sunday before the race, a standing ovation for his parade lap around the track with his fiance Carly Woods riding riding passenger. That was a really fun uh, fun thing that he was able to do with Carly. There, he actually had a chance to get some laps at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park on Wednesday before going to Toronto, and apparently he bent a, a rim um, one of the first times he drove the car. Uh, he talked to us in the media center on. I want to say it was Friday, Friday afternoon. Yeah, it was Friday afternoon. He talked to us and said, you know, the first time he uh, he got a chance to use the throttle, he just put it, pushed it down with his thumb slightly. It was a ring throttle on the steering wheel. You push it down, it goes, and you could do it with either your right hand or your left hand. And so he pushed it down just a little bit to get the car to creep forward, and then he just said, eh, then I just went full throttle to see what it would do. And... Um, <laughs> That got, a, that got a few laughs from everybody in the media center, but he had a lot of fun uh, doing that. And I think the best, one of the best parts about that whole situation was um, IndyCar released a spotter's guide a few days before the race. And then once they announced that Wickens was taking his laps in the NSX or lap in the NSX, they released an updated spotter's guide with Wickens's <clears throat> Twitter account, his name and the Acura NSX between James Hinchcliffe and Marcus Erickson. And on the bottom, it said, enjoy your lap Wickens. And, uh, based on the smile on his face and the smile on Carly's face when she wasn't, uh, you know, chastising Robert saying, don't get too close to the wall. I think it's <laughs> safe to say that they both had a r lot of fun doing that. And I, I tell you the smile on Wickens, face when he was going full throttle down to turn three, loved it, loved it, loved oh it, loved God. it. He was attacking. He was going all the way to the wall too. I can understand Carly's uh, apprehension because he was he was pushing it there for as much as yeah. you can on a parade lap. Like she he looked yeah. like he, <laughs> she didn't he have the oh no handle to run in. She didn't have the oh no handle to grab onto. <laughs> I'm just watching the lab back here, and you can you could tell that she is enjoying this and just like screaming as they plunge down the straightaway. And then of course he gave the command to start engines. This was. This is one of the best moments of the season to see the crowd all come to their feet and clap in appreciation for what this man has already been through. Again, we're just a year removed from, you know, what should have been permanently life-altering injuries for Wickens that he is still fighting through. And he's making progress beyond what I think any of us would have ever imagined uh, in the immediate aftermath of his crash. You know, we were talking like we, we have to stop talking about Robert Wickens, a potential racing driver, because you think there's no way he could ever come back. And he's still a long way back from it. But the more you see of him, the more you see his progress, the more you see his enthusiasm and his drive to want to get back to racing, the more you think he may do it. And I hope he will. 
I think he will. I just think that it's going to, based on what he was talk, telling us in the media center, it may take, they said the best, the long-term term recovery is between three and five years. But I think based on the progress he's made, it might be sooner than that. But um, it's possible you could see him do something with hand controls. And he was talking about how, you know, how you were going to develop a throttle on a brake and said, yeah, you can't just do it where it's throttle on one side and brake on the other. When you're driving an Indy car, you want to be able to have access to the throttle from with both hands instead of just one, because if you're going around a tight corner, one of your hands will basically be handcuffed and not be able to do anything. So I think if Wickens is able to develop a better hand control system soon enough, I mean, he could drive again quicker than we think. Although, one thing that they did mention also, Sam Schmidt's driven an Aero Corvette and actually has challenged Robert to a race. Uh, Robert has yet to accept. Oh, let's that let's was... make it let's make it interesting. Let's make it in the Michelin Pilot Challenge. <laughs> oh my God, that would be that would be that would really be something awesome. Again, Robert, we're we're all wishing you the best and. You know, uh, we we appreciate everything that you've done as an ambassador for this series, and long may that continue. Uh, it's great to have you back. Um, and of course, we had a we we had a race to get through. Of course, Simon Pagano took pole position, and after the start, he uh, he really didn't let go. He was only challenged on the first lap. Scott Ditson pressured him towards the end, but. Leading 80 of 85 laps, this was as good as Pagenaud has looked since the month of May. He was absolutely on his game, King. Yeah, from what I saw, he looked like he was in full control. That pretty much the race evolved around him. How much of a gap he could put between him and mainly Scott Dixon behind him. That pretty much it was his race to lose. Yeah, um, Ditson said after the race that Pagano's straight line speed was ridiculous on race day. And to be fair, Chris, uh, Ditson didn't necessarily have it all his way. Um, he made contact with the wall early in the race and drove the rest of the race distance with the steering wheel misaligned. Even still, he finished a 10th off the win in second place. What is it with Scott Dixon and having something go wrong with him and he still salvages a good result? Is it just like is it on his check mark checkbox of uh, things to do before the race to break the matrix every week? Like really, he spins at Road America on the first lap after contact with Hunter Ray finishes fifth. He is involved in the first lap incident in Portland, another fifth place finish. What is it? Like is he just like a cyborg or some or something like that? I mean, it's it's absolutely <laughs> crazy. Um, and then again, oh, and Dixon's also injured too. He has tennis elbow. Oh, that's not fun. And yeah, and they're uh, they're going to fix it in the off season. But it's just like you know what what is up with the what is up with Scott Dixon? Is he does this season make him eligible for the goat conversation in IndyCar, or does he have to win another one or two more Indianapolis 500s for that to take place? And by goat, I mean of course greatest of all time. I think he's certainly up there in discussion. I think a second Indy 500 win will certainly solidify that. But even still, with five national championships and him, you know, he's gonna be he's gonna be up there in race wins. He'll retire as top three of all time in race winners. Uh, 
he definitely deserves that that accolade and it's a shame that indycar is not as mainstream a sport as it would have been back in the heyday of an aj ford or a mario andretti where it is that spectacle but of course there's just so much out there that it's hard for any form of american racing to uh to uh to fit that uh that mainstream success just ask nascar for instance the top three winners uh winners in the uh american championship car uh list Number one is AJ Foy with 67 wins. Two, Mario Andretti with 52. Three, Scott Dixon, 45. Oh, and just letting you and know, I, fourth is Michael Andretti with 42. Al Senior is fifth at 39. Good gravy. Um, now, of course, going into this race, um, we have, of course, been hyping up a title fight between Alexander Rossi and uh, Joseph Newgarden. Newgarden still came into Toronto with the points lead and came out with the points lead, but Alexander Rossi finished ahead of him. He was only four four seconds off the win was Rossi, but he was 14 seconds clear of Joseph Newgarden. And as we'll talk about in the championship standings, that draws Rossi to within just four points of Newgarden's points lead. It's not that Newgarden has been struggling. He's still been finishing excellently, but every now and then he's just... Rossi has taken a little bit out of it, a little bit out of it each and every race. Certainly the win at Road America certainly helped uh, with that. Um, but you just you got the feeling that we're in for another uh, brilliant championship fight, especially if Paginot and Ditson can continue on their runs of success because... Paginot is not too far out of it either. It's a little bit more of a gap to Ditson, of course. We'll cover that in the standings, but again, it's it's shaping up to be a good championship fight. I actually wrote off uh, Paginot a bit because with Scott Dixon, with how good he is, I figured he was still in the championship battle. I overlooked Paginot completely heading into this weekend. When Paginot made his drive, it basically told all of us, uh, y'all shouldn't have overlooked me heading into this weekend. This was Paginot's 11th different track that he's won at. He's won at Mid-Ohio coming up. Uh, he's done pretty well at a lot of other tracks coming up on the schedule. He's going to be there, and I hate the fact that I overlooked him heading to this weekend because Scott Dixon is still fourth, and we we can't we, you can never count him out either. But I feel sorry for the fact that I did that, and I think a lot of people did it too because after winning the Indy 500 – no one has won the championship, winning the Indy 500 and the championship in the same year since I believe Dario Franchitti did that in 2010. Are we due for another one? Possibly. But, you know, statistics say it may not happen. And that's why I, I overlooked Pagina there. And I'm sorry I did. And, you know, that's entirely fair. Now, King, you weren't there when this happened. But Chris was there to see it unfold because on Saturday, we got some excitement. We got some excitement in the form of a fight. It's time for an impromptu episode of Fight Club. Y'all, Takuma Sato and Sebastian Bourdais threw down in practice. Um, so, so Chris, you were, you were there. Lay out the scene for us. All right, so at the end of the IndyCar practice on Saturday morning, it was the third practice session of the weekend, um, Graham yeah, Rahal— Just before qualifying. Yes. Graham Rahal spun into the tire barrier at the exit—or at the uh, at turn one. Uh, the AMR safety team got him out. He went back to the pits. Cool. IndyCar, as they have done many times before this year, said, we will extend the session to allow each car to have one timed lap uh, at the end. So— uh, everybody went out of the pits. 
Sato's pit is directly in front of Sebastian Bourdais' pit based on where they qualified at the last Road and Street Course race. Um, so they both go out. On the way to turn three, Bourdais overtakes uh, Takuma Sato while Sato's warming up his tires heading to turn three. And Bourdais' car moved to the right. Sato believes that Bourdais was squeezing him towards the wall. When both cars went back to the pits, Sato got out of his car, went to Bourdais' pit, and basically gave him a piece of his mind. He put hands around his collar. And keep in mind, Sebastian Bourdais is not afraid of anybody because if you'll recall as a rookie in 2003 after him and Paul Tracy wrecked each other in Miami, it was Bourdais who at the... And, and remember, this is Paul Tracy who was a very dominating physical presence as a driver, and this was back when he was in shape. He was the most intimidating man in the paddock. Bourdais got up in his face to confront him. He is not afraid of anything. Takuma Sato is so, so slight in stature, but he wasn't going to back down for Bourdais either. Sato, I think, is like one of the sh- two shortest drivers in IndyCar. Between, it's between, I think it's a, well, I hesitate to say it's a race, but it's it's a competition between you know him and Zach Veach. But Sato, I guess, wanted to make a point that he wasn't going to be pushed around by Bourdais like he felt like he was. Now, to be fair to Bourdais, uh, Sebastian feels like he's been wronged by Sato in the past this year. He feels like Sato ruined his race at Texas Motor Speedway earlier this year when Sato was three laps down. And Sato got into Bourdais on the first lap at Road America as well. Could this have been a continuation of those two events of a clash? Possibly. Um, but as we'll talk about during the race, when the two were near each other, there wasn't any funny stuff between them. Yeah, they they handled each other professionally. Again, it wasn't really so much of punches being thrown. They they grabbed each other. A, a PR person had to jump in and intermediate between the two of them, which was wild. Yeah, it wasn't. Another thing is that that particular individual has worked with Sato before in the past, and once Sato saw him, he kind of backed off a little bit. But um, Bourdais didn't, to put it mildly. Uh, yeah, he works with Bourdais now, if I'm not mistaken again. Yeah, he and does. Vassar Sullivan, yes. Um, so Sato brought the heat in Saturday practice. And then uh, on lap 68, he brought the heat with a vintage BAR Honda-style curb blammo of an engine failure, which... Uh, which ended his day, which was, you know, unfortunate um, that he they ended up being classified last place. I'll tell you, another driver who did not have such a good day uh, was Will Power, because on lap one, he made kind of a, what seemed like a very desperate three-wide pass, and that ended up collecting uh, Ryan Hunter-Ray, Graham Rahal, and a couple other cars involved in this. Uh, and then, of course, Power ends up wrecking uh, on the final lap to finish down in 18th. He is starting to fall desperately out of de- fit, running fifth, out, desperately out of title contention now. He's slipping back. Yeah. So, power. I asked power on pit road afterwards. Um, you know, given the sp- I didn't say, phrase it exactly like this, but you know, with the speculation about Rossi with Penske and everything else going on right now, and Pagano won the Indy five hundred. New Gardens won three races this year. Is this rock bottom for Will Power's career? As it stands right now, I believe this is one of the top... Th- this is a 13-race winless streak that he's on right now with the captain. 
the only two that top it are the majority of 2013 from late 2012 to early 2013 and then from the 2015 Indy 500 through I think 2016 at Road America um, this right now is willpower admitted on pit lane to me that this is basically rock bottom for his career um, when he went to the first cor- first lap in uh, situation he tr- went on the inside of Graham Rahal, but actually did not know that Marco Andretti was on the outside of Graham Rahal. Um, and Matt Weaver spoke with Graham after the race was over and um, said, and this is a, a quote, when you look back at Will in the rearview mirror, you can damn near see his eyeballs as big as a cartoon character the size of the moon. You can see it coming. I should have just let him go. He probably would have punted Marco no matter what. No, nah, he would have put a marker no matter what, and I would have been collected anyway. So, unquote, end quote. But, um, yeah, it was, it was not ideal for Will. Uh, uh, he basically bookended this race with bad issues at turn eight, and uh, it's just a shame because he's had a bad season, some mistakes by him, some mistakes by the team, and who is his strategist overseeing everything? Team owner Roger Penske. Penske sees all, and I bet he's not happy with what's going on with that team. And you said it earlier, he's 13 races removed from his last win, but I think about it and it's just like, damn, would you imagine how many drivers would kill to go on average just 13 races between victories? That's like you're winning at least one to two races every season. But for Roger Penske and his high standards, that may not cut it. I don't think Will Power is done at Penske Racing just yet. But you know that, you know, he's coming up there in years and you have to wonder soon, you know, how much time does he have left as a top driver in the sport? And it's crazy to think about because on his day, he is still an elite driver. Power right now is tied for seventh place on the all-time American Championship car win list with Bobby Unser. Unser, a former Penske driver as well. Um, Power won the Indy 500 last year. He won the championship for Team Penske. Heck, if you look at if you know what ifs for Team for what power with Team Penske, he could be a legitimate five-time series champion with as many wins as Scott Dixon. I agree. I agree. And the thing is, he's gotten more well-rounded as his career has gone on. Keep in mind, he was a very is not a five I guess a five tool player to use a baseball analogy because ovals were always his Achilles heel. Now he is the complete driver, but he is prone to more mistakes than he was when he won the title in twenty fourteen, when he was competing for titles just a couple of years back. You look at, you know, power, especially just look at this year, for example. Two of the things that happened to him you know, you could argue weren't his doing. At Detroit, he had a, a tire fall off at the uh, first race, and the uh, the left front oh, tire yeah. came off um, of that one. Now, for Austin, it was a mix of his mistake and the team's mistake because the team didn't call him in soon enough um, to pit for his final stop before Felix Rosenquist and James Hinchcliffe had their incident, and Power, trying to get out of the pits, quickly broke drive shaft. Um, so you could argue that that was Power's mistake, but also... Had power been under green, he wouldn't have been underneath as much pressure and probably wouldn't have snapped the drive shaft. Um, it's just a calamitous mix of bad fortune between the driver and team. But now they're heading to Iowa, which a race which Team Penske has won only once since the IndyCar Series started there, racing there in 2007. Yeah, that it uh, it it's interesting because man, this season's already bl- flown by so fast. We only have six races left. And one of those sits is just coming up this weekend at Iowa. Um, Toronto, Indy, maybe maybe not the most 
entertaining of races. I mean, it had its moments. Simon Pagenaud dominated. Maybe not an all-time classic. If you if you ha- if you're pressed for time, go and watch the highlights. Of course, um, but I'm really looking forward to Iowa and seeing what that could bring us. So I want to just go through our uh, our finishing order again. Simon Pagenaud led 80 of 85 laps. Deceptive that he only finished point. 13 of the hundreds of a second ahead of Scott Ditson in second. Alexander Rossi finishing third and closing up in four points of Joseph Newgarden in fourth. Your top rookie, Felix Rosenquist, in fifth. It was a very positive weekend for him as he was quick throughout practices of running up at the front almost all day. He comes away with a fifth place finish. James Hinchcliffe gained eight places en route to a sixth place finish. Um, certainly taking some home crowd inspiration for the mayor of Hinchtown. And Colton Herta as well came back from 16th on the grid, gained nine places to finish 7th. Sebastian Bourdais, after his eventful weekend, comes home in 8th place. Graham Rahal and Marco Andretti, who were both involved in that first lap pileup, they came back to finish 9th for Rahal and 10th for Andretti, respectively. Santino Ferrucci was the last lead lap finisher in 11th. These are the drivers finished off the lead lap. Ed Jones in 12th, Zach Veach in 13th, Matt Chilton in 14th, Spencer Pickett 15th, Ryan Hunter-Ray didn't recover from his part in the wreck. He was in 16th. Tony Kanaan finished in 17th. Again, Will Power did not complete the final lap. He was classified in 18th, two laps down. Mateus Lice, 19th. Marcus Erickson, uh, his race was compromised, but he did still set the fastest lap of the race and finished in 20th. And the returning Sage Karam, it's been a while since we've seen him on a street course. He filled in in the number 31 Carlin racing car. Um, it was a bit of a struggle for him, but he did finish the race and finished in 21st with Takuma Sato, the only other non-finisher with the engine failure on in 22nd place, completing only 67 laps. A couple of nuggets, if I may, about that race. Um, Ryan hunter Ray did make a pit stop on lap 43, about 12 laps after his... I think his second scheduled pit stop during the race. What happened? Mm-hmm. Seatbelts came loose. Oh, God. Yeah. That problem. Yeah, that's a bit of an issue. And um, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, Sage Karam, uh, what, he was gaining, you know, a lot of experience because this was his first road and street course race in an IndyCar since 2015. Uh, he was actually setting very quick times near the back of the pack, but he had an issue where he, I think he tagged the wall and bent a toe link earlier on and they fixed that yeah. in the pits but it cost them four laps and by that time it was just a matter of let's make this a test session and learn what we could um just not an ideal day for some competitors but the good news is that you have you know five days before you get to iowa speedway and you can fix it all over again right and sage will be back at iowa so too will connor daly both of them will be driving um, this is a track where Karam has had success. He finished on the podium. That was with Ganassi, of course. So, you know, again, the potential is there. And these are two young drivers who've been on the outside looking in for a, for a, lo- for a little bit of time now. And they'll be determined to make the most of that, I feel. Yeah, Carlin's going to be uh, Carl with Max Children not running on ovals for the rest of the year. And the other, yeah, and the 31 car having a part-time uh situation with Matt, um, Charlie Kimball running Patricio. some races. Not, not, Patricia's in Japan. Patricia's yes. in Japan now. Yes. So yeah, it's just Charlie Kimball and whoever else they can get for the 31 car. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how well they do in Iowa, considering that Carlin actually won their first, uh, well, 
Carlin won the old the first time they ran at Iowa Speedway in Indy Lights in 2015. They won, and I'm looking forward to seeing how well Sage does, given the fact that uh, he got a third. I think it was a third place finish on yeah. Iowa 2015. Yeah, as I mentioned, he was third with Ganassi. You know, you remember that uh, that heated confrontation he had on and off track with Ed Carpenter. I can't wait to see what will happen again because. Carpenter was furious with Sage after that. I was I was right there on pit road when Carpenter went to go after Sage and Sage was just he didn't care that Carpenter was upset because this is this is bullring short track racing and I'm gonna steal a phrase from one of the greatest short track drivers of all time, Dick Trickle. Yes, that's his real name. Um, Dick Trickle said that driving a super late model around Anderson Speedway was like taking a jet fighter and running it around a high school gymnasium. This is basically the same thing. 1,590-pound open-wheel cars going around at 7-8 mile bullring, going around 180 miles an hour. What? How else do I need to sell that to you? That's awesome. Glory to corn. Glory to corn. Yes. Watch this next weekend. If you're if you're listening in from the United Kingdom or other parts of the world, pull an all-nighter. You know you want to. You know you're not getting any sleep anyway. What's the point? Championship standings. <laughs> Uh, Again, as we mentioned, Joseph Newgarden on 434 points still has a lead, but it's now down to just four points over Alexander Rossi on 430 with six races left in the season. Simon Paginode is third on 395. He's not that far off, folks. Scott Ditson in fourth on 348. Will Powers fifth. Dropping down, he's now on 306. Takuma Sato's channel hopes also take a bit of a debt. He sits on 301. Ryan Hunter Ray in seventh on 285. Graham Rahal in eighth on 266. James Hinchcliffe in ninth on 244. And your top rookie in the standings, Felix Rosenquist, is tenth on 239. Again, as mentioned this weekend, the Iowa 300 at Iowa Speedway, 7.30 p.m. Easter Daylight Time. Go out of your way to watch it. It's going to be good. Saturday night under the lights. And let's not forget, this was, this was a daytime race for a few years. And when it went to nighttime, that's when all the crazy stuff happened. I can't wait to see how this race is going to turn out. You're going to see a bigger crowd here than earlier when it was a daytime race. And it was really hot in the daytime. This is going to be a lot of fun. And those cars sparkle at night. Goodness gracious. Yeah, it's it's going to be like, it's going to be a miniature version of Gateway, but I feel like it's going to be an even better race. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. But you, re- you really know who's good under the lights at Iowa? Who's that? Joseph Newgarden. Oh, baby, because didn't he win this race with a broken collarbone a few years you- back? Yeah, he won it with a broken year- collarbone two years back. The two years before that, he finished second place twice. And that was not with Penske or with no. VCR before he leveled that up. That was uh, Seraph- what was it, CFH Racing, I, I want to say. Yes, yeah, and then Carpenter, before it- Fisher, Harvey. God, I remember that year. He did that twice. I think one time was uh, second to... I think both times were actually were second to Ryan hunter Ray. hunter Ray also, yeah, that's another thing, so. person we shouldn't overlook, is that hunter Ray is really good at Iowa, too. He's won... Two or three times at Iowa. I can't remember exactly the number, but um, there's been a lot of good winners at Iowa Speedway. Hunter Ray being that you know one of them. New Garden's really good at uh, Iowa Speedway. Um, Hinchcliffe has won at yeah, Iowa. Yeah, let me look, let me run through uh, New Garden's Iowa record. Go for he it. Was second and fourteen, second and fifteen, winner and sixteen with a broken fucking collarbone. Sixth in twenty seventeen, fourth in twenty eighteen. 
His best, res- his worst result was a sixth. My and dude. also, I don't. Obviously, I didn't watch the race broadcast live. I don't know if it was mentioned, but this past weekend in Toronto was Joseph Newgarden's 100th IndyCar start. Wow! Already, Christ, I can. I can remember not even knowing who this guy was in about 2012 or 2013. Well, to be fair, a lot of people don't remember when he was incognito. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. The first big exposure a lot of people got to him was in 2012 when going around the outside of Dario Franchitti. Well, at Long Beach, going around the outside of Dario Franchitti at turn one, going for the lead at the start of the race, and then unfortunately gets squeezed into the wall at the exit of turn number one. That's that's the first exposure a lot of people got to Joseph Newgarden, and that's when a lot of people realized, hey, this guy's pretty fearless. Good shout, by the way, as well for Ryan Hunter Ray, who's won uh, three times in a four-year stretch from 2012 to 2015, and James Hitchcliffe, who won it last year in the year that, of course, he ended up missing the Indianapolis 500. Uh, he put that behind him with a great run at Iowa. Um, Chris, um, some insights from the road to Indy because we had the full support ticket on play in Toronto and thank goodness no Indy Pro 2000 cars took flight this time out. (laughs) Yeah, so one thing about Indy, so I'll go ahead and just bring up Indy Pro 2000 now because, um, you know, it's, it's what we just brought up here. Um, Kyle Kirkwood, he won the second race of the weekend on Sunday. And the reason why I bring up the second race before the first race, the car that he was driving, the same tub that he was sitting in, is the same tub that Harrison Scott had his incident with in 2018 when he got more air than any race car should. Um, the, The fact that that car was even able to continue for the next race in 2018 was a miracle in my opinion, but... So Kirkwood won the second race on Sunday. The first race, I believe, uh, Rasmus... No, Daniel Frost. Daniel Frost won from uh, Rasmus Linden second. And Parker Thompson with two podiums at home, finishing in third. Then second in the second race behind uh, Kirkwood and Linden third. So Linden still has the points lead. One thing about uh, Parker Thompson I want to bring up is that he didn't just race in Indy Pro 2000 this past weekend. He also raced in the Porsche GT3 Canada Cup Championship as well scoring uh i think it was a third and it was i think it was also like a fifth or sixth he got as well he was he, was, he got three out of four podiums so for him the, the red deer alberta native a great great job um moving into do you want to do indy lights next or us at 2000 well can, we can move up to indy lights yeah because we had a absolutely dominant drive that was a little unexpected because we haven't seen him for most of the season because he's been doing other things but now that Aaron Tewitz is back in an Indy Lights car he's really reacclimated to his new surroundings. Brian Bellardi and John Brunner uh, team owner and team manager for Bellardi Auto Racing have seen a marked improvement in Tewitz's mentality since he's been with Aim Vasha Sullivan driving the IMSA GT India Lexus RCF GT3 entry for Aim Vasha Sullivan He's been driving that in the endurance races, and he's also been on the Aim Vashasol the Dale Coin Racing with Vasha Sullivan pit stand, you know, at many of the IndyCar races, just observing and taking things in. And his mentality has shifted a lot, and it's really shown in his driving. Um, just absolutely dominated on Saturday, winning ahead of Oliver Askew and Renus VK, and then Sunday he was leading until Renus made a, a made a sharp a. a long a late breaking move on him on turn three 
and then unfortunately he wasn't able to repeat his success there but Tealitz was showing everybody watching that he is ready for IndyCar racing and I think we're going to see him in an IndyCar if, if not 2020 definitely 2021 he's the real deal that's not a bad shout as well and, and of course that uh that second race in Indy Lights had what we like to call in the business championship implications because it would have been a big points day for Renus VK, but instead it, the win went to his main title rival, Oliver Askew, taking the win over Toby Sowery in second and Dalton Kell at the homeboy in third. This was a big deal for the championship. Renus VK and Oliver Askew have been rivals since their USF 2000 days in 2017. Oliver won the title that year over Renus, despite Renus winning the last race of the year. And Oliver had a bit of a, I don't want to say necessarily a slide in performance as the year went on, but he wasn't as dominant in the second half of the year as he was in the first half of the year. Um, moving into Indy Pro 2000, Renus won the championship that year. Oliver won only one race. Um, moving to Indy Lights, Oliver and Renus had a clash at the first race of the year in St. Petersburg. I think it was the second race of the year at St. Petersburg. My apologies. But Oliver and Renus have been going back and forth with when Oliver wins, Renus wins, Oliver wins, Renus wins. And Oliver has just put the throttle down even harder, getting the win at the second race in Toronto. He did a great job. And the other thing I want to bring up, especially with Oliver at Toronto, is he learned from his past mistakes. When the USF 2000 Championship went to Toronto in 2017, the second race that weekend, there was a collision. David Malukas and Alexander Barron were fighting for the lead. Oliver Askew was in third place. The two collided, Baron and Malukas did, and Oliver had nowhere to go and you know, went to the accident, lost his front wing, and lost a lap or two in the process. This time around, Oliver was far enough back from Tealitz and VK that he was able to let Tealitz and VK go off on their own at turn three, slid up the inside, and get the lead, and ran unchallenged to the checkered flag. He learned from his mistakes a couple of years ago, and that's what helped him get the win. And with four race meetings left, which would be Mid-Ohio, a single race at Gateway, Portland and Laguna Seca, it's 25 points separating Askew in the lead from VK in second, with Ryan Norman third, uh, ahead of Robert McGinnis and Toby Sowery, top five in the championship. And uh, wrapping things up with the, uh, with the USF 2000 series. Redemption. Um, redemption is was really, really big uh, for Darren Keene. Um, so Darren Keene won the first USF 2000 race of the weekend, and for him it was a humongous relief, a humongous relief. So at the second race of the year in St. Petersburg, he spun going to the last corner on the last lap from the lead. The person immediately behind him was Christian Rasmussen, who was also out of the race. Uh, this time around, there was a caution late in the race. There was a one-lap shootout for the win, Keane held off Rasmussen's attack late in the going and sped away to win his first USF 2000 race of the season over Rasmussen. Going ahead to Sunday, Rasmussen had a chance to turn it around. Rasmussen won over Keane, and I believe the other place in the pudding was taken by Matt Round Garrido. Now, the big thing here is this was also a first for Jay Howard driver development that team got his first ever road to Indy win thanks to Rasmussen. So it was a great job for the Dane. Yeah, and two Jay Howard development drivers on the podium in that last race. A terrific job well done. 
Braden Neves didn't get a podium finish, but he still leads the championship. I want to say this is 39 points over Hunter McElray. Darren Kane jumps into third, and Kristen Rasmussen now in fifth. Uh, so being about Matt Brown Garrido now with uh now with B in racing started the year with Jay Howard. My apologies. Yeah, that uh, it it tends to happen midway through the year. Some te- some driver and team combinations just don't work out, and sometimes some drivers will switch teams. It worked for Florian the Tour in 2014 in USF 2000. That year he started off with Blardy, ended up with Cape Motorsports at the end of the at the halfway point of the season. He went on to win the championship. So. You know, good job for Matt Ryan Garrido. The uh, I, I think he's did very well at the Formula Ford Festival, which is how he got noticed for the U.S. And he did a great job. It was a good improvement for him. One of the races that he did earlier this year at Lucas Oil Raceway didn't necessarily do a good job there. So that's one of the probably one of the reasons why he changed teams. And now you can see how good he is for getting a podium on a difficult street circuit like Toronto. Good job, Matt Ryan Garrido. I agree. Shame we won't have the Indy Lights at, uh, or the Road to Indy at Iowa Speedway, but that should be an incredible race. The Iowa 300, watch it Saturday night. Glory to corn as always. Um, after this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to talk about a wild, wacky Formula E championship finale, the doubleheader in New York City, right after this. So, the reason why we didn't have King on on our most recent episode, episode 202, was because he was still recovering from a very thrilling Formula E New York City E Prix, a two-race final round where, going into this weekend, four drivers still had a chance to win the title by the time all was said and done. But of course, since the point margins weren't that close, it means that it was a boring championship. It was so predictable, and we could have had so much more excitement. Yeah, it was. It was definitely Jeff's title from moment one of the weekend. Nothing was ever in doubt, right, guys? There were two realistic contenders. There was, of course, John Eric Vernon, Lucas DeGrassi, but there were drivers who came in with an outside outside shot to win. And as it turns out, in race one qualifying, one of those contenders stepped out of the shadows. Now keep in mind, after Berlin, Sebastian Buemi at Nissan Edams was 13th in the championship standings. He took Super Pole, he got the bonus points, and he started that Saturday race from pole position. And also, after that weekend in Bern, 
uh, Buemi and his team realized that this would be the last ride for their car as it was deemed illegal for next season. Right, because next year they will not have the dual uh, the dual motors. Uh, those have been outlawed for season six, 2020, 2019, 2020. Which, uh, in the post-race press conference for for race one, he made it well and clear that he did not think that that was the right decision. And to be fair, there may have also been traction control that were found in some of these cars. Formula E is raining it in early, folks. <laughs> yes. Sebastian Buemi, looking like the Sebastian Buemi of old throughout most of the first three seasons, takes that crucial pole position and those extra crucial bonus points as your top three in the standings started in the middle of the pack. Vern starting in 10th, Evans, Mitch Evans for Jaguar in 13th, who had snuck his way in the top three in the championship, and Lucas Degrassi down in 14th place. But on Saturday, there was just no stopping Sebastian Buemi. There was a there was a little bit of drama in the first lap, though, shall we say? Ooh, they touched, RJ, they touched. As as it is being reported that Andre Lauderer will leave um to cheetah racing it things certainly didn't help when the two to drivers in a pile up involving uh I believe it was matt c gunther a dragon it was one of the dragons if i recall uh yes it was it was maxi uh pretty much it, massive recording effect and then it, it seemed like oh maybe it wasn't that bad everyone got out clean until you realize hey uh besides you know Andre Lauder losing his front wing. They're like, why is the other Tachita also going very slowly? Then it, yeah, he suffered damage and dropped all the way back to 19th. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you also realize that John Vern has a puncture. He'll have to pit. Oh my god. So immediately, everything is going sideways for Vern's championship challenges, but you know... Luckily for him, Lucas Degrassi didn't seem to make up that much ground. I mean, he still finished inside the points, but not enough to where he can make significant inroads. The big story of this race was, uh, was for my opinion, Sebastian Buemi snapping a winless drought that dated all the way back to the Berlin round in 2017. It had been yeah, that, that... <laughs> it had been that long. Consider it had been that long. He was the first driver to double-digit victories, and it seemed like towards the end of that season, he would never he would never go a year without winning a race. And then, of course, he went winless last season and most of this season as Renault handed over Edams to Nissan, and it didn't get off to such a good start. Again, for Sebastian Buemi. He didn't have a podium finish until Berlin, and he was 13th in the standings. But closed out the victory from pole position. It was great to have Sebastian Buemi back at his rightful place, near at the front of a Formula E grid. Oh, and that... <laughs> people people say, oh, I never want to see a lights-to-flag victory. I was like... That was the most exciting lights to flag victory race that I've seen in a long time. Especially since he had uh, he had he had drivers pushing him through the first half of the race. Alex Lynn, a driver who had struggled through his year at DS Virgin last year, uh, came back middle of the season with Jaguar. Some had questioned the move, but he'd been gaining confidence and been running second most of that race until he broke down with twenty minutes to go. 
Oh, like there was this this you, you could feel just like this collective just sigh across the whole media center when Lynn's car came to a stop because it really looked like it was going to be his race. Right. And how soon we forget that it was just a few years ago, Alex Lynn's a Macau Grand Prix winner and a GP3 champion. It was a former Red Bull prospect, a race winner in GP2 slash Formula 2. The guy's good. I know we didn't have luck in last season, but this was starting to show more of the skill that he had when he was coming up the ladder, um, aspiring to race in Formula 1. Of course, as yeah. one Jaguar driver dropped off, another one came in because... Mets From 13th on the grid, came back and put all the pressure in the world on Sebastian Buemi. He made it close in the end, but in the end, Evans would finish second. Um, he, he, he fought back from 13th on the grid to make this. Yeah, what Jaguar has made inroads from the start of the season. It, it almost looks like they're a completely different team. It certainly feels a lot different um, after the departure of Nelson Piquet Jr. Take that what you will. But I will say this. Um, it's... Uh, it's kind of interesting that they hadn't finished on the podium until after he left, and then the first race after he departed in Rome, Evans wins, goes on a bender that almost take puts him into title contention. Yeah, and uh, also, uh, earlier in the season, there were talks about Jaguar shutting the team down. Ooh, I... I yeah, glad they decided to stick with, and I hope they stick <laughs> with it, because they're a team to watch. Uh, because Evans is finding his form. He's finding the form that made him a GP3 champion and GP2 title contender. This is... He's at the peak of his powers right now, and he's still so young. He's only 25 this year. He's going to be around for a long time. Um, of course, after Buemi won, and after the checkered flag fell, we had even more drama involving our championship leader. <laughs> King, you want to tell us what had our jaws on the floor as we were watching this race live on Saturday afternoon? It looked like he had it wrapped up. He had enough points to wrap up the title in race one. All he had to do was complete one more racing. Why is he trying to overtake on Felipe Moss in the turn one on the last lap? Oh, God, no. What's happening? No, no, no. Did Jerome just ramp over Felipe's car? Oh, God, no. From the official race report, in the final lap of the race, a devastating mash on turn two between Vern and Massa destroyed the Frenchman's chances of clinching the championship title Saturday. Uh, at this point, you're thinking, could he could he possibly repeat Montreal? Was this on the cards? <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone was thinking because obviously there was still one racing lap left. Someone could have taken the fastest lap point off him, but if if the results stood as it was. Heading into his last lap, he would have been champion without having the overtake Felipe Massa. Oh my goodness. And I want to say it was, uh, 
course, Daniel Apt, I believe it was who took the fastest lap in that race, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Uh, so. Because Blemmy no. had the three had the three bonus points for pole position. App finished in sits in this race, and that would have paid him eight, but he has nine here in this point. So, see, yeah, he got the fastest lap. Uh, yeah, because you have to finish within the top ten to get the fastest lap point. Yes, yeah, so it didn't. So, Daniel App, because he finished in the top ten and had the Nets' fastest lap, got that fastest lap point. And I also talk about, as well, Antonio Felix da Costa slamming that champagne bottle down into the <laughs> ground and resulting in an eruption that makes me think this gift should have come with a Brazzers watermark. <laughs> oh, my God. Like... He knew exactly what he's doing, but I didn't think anyone, I, I didn't think anyone thought the guys were going to go that high. Uh, sounds like my first time, King. Sounds like my first time. <laughs> so, so in the day, so in the evening between Saturday and Sunday, of course, um, the gang roamed around New York, concrete jungle where dreams are made of, and they thought, well, there's no way it can get any crazier than this, can it? Can it possibly? <laughs> Why, Sunday? Why? Race two happens. Now, Sebastian Buemi needed to score maximum points to have any shot at the title. He just missed out on pole position, so he was eliminated from title contention as Alexander Sims took pole position for the final race. And we're neatly bookending the season where we started it, where BMW and Dreddy are near the front of the grid with the potential to win the race. But, as it turns out, it was another driver who stepped to the forefront because although Sims had led most of the first lap half of the race, it was Robin Friends who came through with 20 minutes to go, took the lead off of Sims, and drove on to take his second win of the season. A statement win for Robin Friends that would have gone completely unnoticed in the midst of the whole championship battle because John Eric Verne uh, needed just eight points to clinch his second championship. He started 12th, ran with Lucas Degrassi most of the race, and with a seventh place finish, John Eric Verne becomes Formula E's first repeat and first back-to-back two-time electric racing champion of the world! Ooh, and man, it was... I, it, it was... Not without controversy. Race. Not without controversy, we'll get to that quickly. But the second race, it pretty much, you know, besides the ridiculousness of what happened during the closing stage of race two where the two other championship contenders took themselves out on the last lap right in front of the media center by the way yeah just when you thought it couldn't get any sillier uh mitch evans puts an almighty chop block on lucas degrassi for position and wrecks both of them out on the final lap oh because like they they were neither of them were you know at that point a serious threat to Vern for the championship but it just it, it was literally the nail in the coffin to anyone else having a potential chance if there was like a pile up or anything where where Degrassi could get enough points it was just 
all over and no one was happy. Right. Evans and Degrassi knew they weren't going to make up enough points as they were just battling for sits with Vernon Knight at the time. And then they both wreck each other like that. It was just so utterly bizarre. Yeah. And like Audi was completely prepared. So uh, Audi were planning that either uh, Degrassi just overtakes uh, overtakes uh, Evans on pace or... Or they have Daniel App try to back Evans up into the grassy, and the moment the overtake's done, App would move over, and uh, Degrassi would just move up in the fifth. Because position. keep in mind, by this point, there was not just the drivers' championship at stake; there was a teams championship on the line. It looked like Audi Sport could have taken another teams championship at off of TS Cheetah at yep. the final race of the season, and it didn't play out like that. Didn't play out like that because. Vern was just too quick. He was able to, you know, he he played it a lot safer than race one. <laughs> and he he realized that that was the right strategy to take in, in race two. But Audi's game plan to try to get maximum points out of, a, you know, an okay position didn't work out just, just due to shenanigans. Right. And of course... Less than 24 hours after John Eric Verne wrapped up his second championship title, um, the controversy did not end there, did it, King? It did not. Uh, there was a there was a protest filed about an incident in race one. Incident where... in race one. Keep in mind, this was the race where the two. Tachitas had run into each other. By this point, Vern is out of the points. Lauder is out of the points entirely. And what yeah. was it that precip- that followed after this? Oh, so at first everyone... So uh, there were basically two press conferences after the race. One with everyone who finished in the top three, and then one for the new champion. And the the top three press conference ended... The second press conference started, but Jeff was nowhere to be found. <laughs> and then it quickly, quickly, everyone checked the notice board. Well, it there wasn't a notice posted, but uh, pretty much uh, Jeff Jeff showed up late to the to the press conference. Not not too late, but he did the press conference and didn't go to the media pen. Funnily enough, I didn't go to the media pen either. I was I went down to pit lane, and uh, I looked behind me. It's John Eric Verne. He's walking down pit lane. <laughs> oh boy! And I'm like, where? Like I'm like, where is he going? Because uh, Tatita's garage is at the end of pit lane, and he walks past that. And at the at pit exit is race control in the steward's office. Hmm. <laughs> And he has to go to, st- and he goes to Stewart's office, and everyone's like, and it kind of quickly leaked out that he was under investigation for an instant race one. It's not clear who filed the appeal for it, but uh, over team radio, over team radio after the lap one incident, over <laughs> he said to his engineer. Quote, tell Andre to stop to bring out the safety car. Now, there are multiple layers to this. 
John Eric Verne, of course, is not just the ace driver of DS Chichita Racing, is he, King? He's not just a race driver. He owns their entry into the series. Like, it's a similar scenario how we got last year in Formula One, where, you know, that, that consortium headed by Lawrence Stroll bought, mm-hmm. uh, bought uh, Force India, but they bought the team, but they didn't have the entry, so they had to enter again. Mm-hmm. Well, it's that same situation at Tachita, where the holding company for the entry is owned by John Erkver. Yeah, essentially, like, the closest thing we'd have to an owner-driver. I remember when Yarno truly tried it to less success, shall we say, because he didn't have as much going in, much resources at his disposal as Vern would have at Tachita. So there is that element. But, you know, it came out after the race, and this news broke, and I was hearing talk like, oh, man, this is diabolical. This is bad of John Eric Vern. And, you know, as as friend of the show, Hazel Southwell, commented, you know, I'd look closer into it and understand the context, you know, yeah, he has all this leadership, but at the, and it sounds pretty bad out of context. But, you know, he is also upset at the time that he's doing this. He is mad. He is livid. I'm inclined to believe that he didn't necessarily have a diabolical plan to fix the race. I think he was just upset, and I know the feeling. I no, say- no, no, no. So, in the full, in the full notice that was given by the FIA on their decision not to penalize him and essentially just give him, they penalized him with community not, service. Yeah, with community service. It wasn't uh, something that would affect the results in their decision. Vern explained, well, it also goes into detail saying that Vern asked the race engineer if he if he heard the message, and the race engineer just didn't re- reply back. Yeah, I just shrugged it off. It was just like, oh, he's just, oh, he's just mad and red and nude online. So, this was, this is Vern's on-the-record defense to his, uh, to delivering that message. Quote, he knew that car 36, Andre Lauder, has sustained damage in the incident at at turn two, I mean, at turn six on lap two. Had a broke, had broken the front wing and lost time as a result, uh, such that it was no longer in contention for a points finish in round 12. He held concerns for his safety and that of the other drivers due to debris on track and made the request to the engineer of car 36 be re- that car 36 be requested to stop for that reason only. That is his defense to why he said that. Not that it would be for uh, a chance for him to gain ground on the field yeah. knowing that he have to make a pit stop. That is his official defense on the matter. I mean, that's fair. I just, I I can't see this being like he was trying to make Singapore 2008 all over again. Like, no, I I, I don't buy that. Now, of course, Lucas Degrassi had his opinions on the matter on Instagram, which John Eric Vern clapped back like, weren't you the guy that kind of wrecked your title rival at the end of season two and turned this into a last lap battle and then tried to block Wemmy while already laps down to try and prevent him from setting the last lap, fastest lap in sports? Oh, Lucas Degrassi, you are an incredibly talented, incredibly obnoxious <laughs> tech douche. Oh, you're you're so good at driving a car. I hate it. Yeah. 
And the FI's response to this, and the reason why they decided community service was appropriate punishment, because, uh, quote, driver of car 25 said he recognizes the messages could be misunderstood. He acknowledged with the benefit of hindsight, the messages were inappropriate, particularly, particularly having been made on an open channel, which is available to the public via the EF and, and was aware could be monitored by race officials. <laughs> that the fact that, Yes, it could have been very misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And also, also, while his, while his official defense makes a hundred percent, you know, makes, it makes makes sense. sense. It makes sense. But I could understand why people would just raise an eyebrow like, ah, sure, pal, safety reasons, whatever you say. The fact that he told Andre to stop specifically to bring out the safety car, not to retrieve his car or anything. No, to bring out the safety car. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wasn't but five years ago that, you know, Helmut Marco had said, you know, we've given Vern plenty of chances. Four years in, in junior formula, three years in F1, and we're not impressed. We're going to let him go. He has to find his own way. And to his credit, John Eric Vern has found his own way. You know, he, when he started this Formula E career, he was always quick enough to win races, but just could never close the deal until he finally broke through with that first win. And then he got more and more, and then he switched over to Toshida and won his first title and then repeated as a two-time champion. I mean, he's he's been absolutely on his game from the moment that he won that second race in Montreal to that to the four wins last season where again he finished every race of the points not as consistent this time out it has to be said because he did had some he did have some clunkers uh in particular his one retirement at Santiago but even still with the three wins that he had um it was he still did more than enough to do well in the championship um and he's really made his mark he's made Formula E his own I I've I know he was offered a chance to come back to Formula One, but to that I would have said, for what? He's found something amazing here. He is a cornerstone driver for this championship, and it is great to see him succeeding where he was never given, really given the opportunity to at Toro Rosso in three seasons. Because you have to remember, too, he was he was taking drivers like multiple Grand Prix winner J- Daniel Ricciardo and a rookie Danny Cavia, and he was giving them he was giving them absolutely. He was doing well against them, all things considered. Yeah. And of course, with that collision on the last lap between Degrassi and Evans, again, Sebastian Buemi, who was 13th (laughs) in the championship at one point, jumps all the way to second in the final standings. With a third place finish in the final race, Robin Friends takes the win, Alexander Sims completes the rostrum in second. Oh, but yeah, big, big mood and Sebastian Buemi doing big Buemi things. It's uh, so good that he's back on his game. If Nissan Adams could find a single motor solution that works for them in single sits, he's going to be right back at title contention. He looks like the yeah, Buemi I'd probably say, depending on how fast they are in testing at Valencia this upcoming fall, I would say Nissan Adams have a real strong chance of winning the championship. So, uh, it's it's not clear who will be driving for Nissan next year, but I'm pretty. It feels very comfortable that at least Buemi will be back. Right. Shall we go into the final championship standings? Um, 
both drivers and teams close things out and then get your yep. remarks on the season five that was in the season six to come. Yes, so in the team's championship, T.S. Tachita winning it by 19 points with 222 markers over Audi Sport, App Schaeffler, Formula E team, 222 to 203. Envision version racing, finishing third on 191, just a single point ahead of Nissan Edams in fourth. BMW i Andretti Motorsport, uh, preseason darling, still a great result for them in fifth, considering they came from the very bottom of the table one season ago. Yep. Mahindra finishing sits on 125, Panasonic Jaguar racing seventh on 116, Venturian eighth on 88 points, HWA Race Lab only ninth on 44 points, but they showed marked improvement in the second half of the season when their cars weren't breaking. Giat's Dragon in 10th on 23 points, Neo Formula E team 11th and last with just 7 points and no finishes above 8th place. In the Drivers' Championship standings, it is official. John Eric Verne with 136 points and 3 victories is your 2018-19 Formula E champion. Sebastian Buemi surging to second on 119 points, ahead of Lucas Degrassi in third on 108. He is two points ahead of Robin Friends, who jumped all the way to fourth on 106, surpassing Mitch Evans, who finished fifth in the end on 105. Antonio Felix Costa sits on 99 points. Daniel Lapp seventh on 95. He'll be back next season. Andre Lauderer, hottest free agent in town, perhaps, didn't have such a good finish to close out the season, but he still finished a respectable 8th on 86 points. Out of Sam Bird and 85 points in 9th, Oliver Rowland in 10th on 71 points, Jerome D'Ambrosio in 11th on 67 points, Pascal Verline, despite missing the opening round, was 12th on 58 points, out of Alexander Simpson 13th on 57, Eduardo Martara, your Hong Kong winner, but only finished 14th in the standings on 52. Felipe Massa, 15th on 36. Stoffel Van Doren, 16th on 35. Matt Smelly and Gunther missed three races, but still finished a respectable 17th on 20 points. Alex Lynn missed the half of the season, still came back to finish 18th on 10 points. Gary Paffett, 19th with 9 points. Oliver Turvey, 7 points in 20th. Jose Maria Lopez with just 3 points in 21st. And Nelson Piquet Jr. with just a single point in 22nd. Tom Dillman was the only driver to run every race and not score a point. He, Felipe Nasser, and Felix Rosenquist not scoring 23rd, 24th, 25th, respectively. Oh, it's a quick stat run to run through the season. We had nine different winners over the 13 races. Mm-hmm. Besides that, over the 13 races, 15 different drivers stood at the podium at least at one point in the season. And uh, no drivers... No driver scored a point in every single race this season. At least at one point of the year, a driver failed to score points. Oh my goodness. It was it was a very good season from the first race in Adria to that remarkable last lap fin- pass for the win by Degrassi and Verline of Mexico. Um, there was, there was very good racing. Not every race was an instant classic, of course. Not every race can be, but Formula E, the second generation cars, they were excellent. And it's great that more manufacturers are wanting to get involved. We talked about how HW Race Lab came in the second half of the season. They've laid a very solid foundation for Mercedes AMG to build upon. And of course, Porsche coming in 
with Neil Yanni already confirmed and likely Andre Lauder to fill that second seat, although that's yet to be confirmed because that was also rumored to go to Brendan Hartley before he was snapped up by Toyota. And yeah, the other, the other, I would say, rumor circling in the paddock, probably the big, almost open one that, oof, Neo are not in a good place right now. Seems like they, they will be in the championship next year, but massive changes, changes will probably happen. Uh, most likely, Tom Dillman might not come back. Uh, it's a shame because, it, you know, he had a... He was much... I don't think the season really demonstrated, you know, Dillman's a solid driver. He was he was really weighed down by a, by a poor car, Oliver Turvey as well. And it's, it's a shame to think that this was the team that was your season one champions in the hands of Nelson Piquet Jr. They had some good performances, but just haven't been able to sustain that. I hope Neo can stick around because if nothing else, their, their EP9 is just a brilliant supercar. Yeah, it's like... Neo is a company that I'd love to remain in the series, especially as more traditional manufacturers come in. Mm-hmm. That, that yes, it's nice having you know Audi, every major Audi, like, BMW, we, yeah, Honda's like, interested in Mercedes and Porsche and Nissan and all that, and that's fine. But they solely don't build electric cars, <laughs> like, like. It's nice to have Neo because they're truly an electric car company. I agree. I agree. And I would hope they're able to stick around because, again, having those two two more places on the grid will make things excellent. Uh, season 6 is going to be good. Um, uh, formerly, it was a good time. If you have time to watch back some of the races over the summer, especially with the summer breaks with Formula One and MotoGP coming up, you definitely owe it yourself to watch some of these races because some of them are just incredible. And you don't have to go that far out of your way to watch them. Every session is available on YouTube. You can even relive that time that Formula E tried to have a show with social media influencers trying to make commentary on the races. <laughs> I can't believe that that was this season. I can't believe they didn't bring you on the show. I know, they waited too late. They waited way too late. Oh my goodness. Um King, who was your who was your driver of the year? Ooh. Dr- my driver of the year. Informally. I'd say informally ooh, it would have to either be between one of the two German rookies, either Pascal Verline are Maxi Gunther, where I'd probably, I'd probably give the edge to Gunther because his team, they're they're a bit of a mess right now. But he was still able to, even as someone who didn't even get to compete full time, was on pretty much a per race basis. Right. Uh, because keep in mind, he had to sit out a few rounds and let Felipe Nazar do Brazil, do 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 do, uh, take over for a spell. Yeah, and like. He came in and probably, he came in and got fifth place finishes at two of the most insane races of the year, Paris and Bern. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, if not the obvious choice of Jean-Eric Verne, I thought that Robin Friends was spectacular at points finally breaking through with his first wins and realizing the potential that might have been squandered at his time at Andretti, uh, proving that he never should have been left off the grid to begin with. Yeah, Robin Friends yeah. is a good candidate. Um, 
and for for some, Stoffel Van Dorn. Because keep in mind, uh, he was of course he was winning fan boost votes left and right because hey, recent Formula One driver gotta pick those up. But he battled through so many reliability issues that you almost forget that he is still very very quick in a single seater car. Another driver who should have never been lost in the Formula One shuffle. And he- Ooh, I mean, that like. That's kind of becoming the calling card for, for Formula E, where a lot of the rookie classers like, hey, this is a really good driver. Wonder why he didn't end up in Formula 1. Wonder why he didn't stick around longer. Wonder why guys like Evans and Friends never made it up there to begin with. And Gunther as well. You're, you're very right about that. Ooh, and that's, that's what's going to make next year interesting, because next year... Uh, Obviously, a lot of people are going to get re-signed, but right now, the only the only people who are signed for contracts next year are both current Virgin drivers, Sam Bird, Robin Friends, mm-hmm. uh, both current Audi drivers, Daniel Applucas Degrassi, mm-hmm. both Venturi drivers, Felipe Massa and Edo Martara, and uh, Tachita still only have Jean-Eric Verne, and Porsche have Neil Yachty. Besides that, the, the, you know, almost the half of the grid don't have contracted and, drivers and right keep now. in mind as well even if you do have contracted drivers as we saw with the alex albon mess from last autumn um <laughs> anything can happen with weeks to go before the start of the season uh so i'm yes. interested to see who's moving where i gotta say though and not to sound like our friend of the show cam uh but yanni and lauder at porsche Oh, baby. <laughs> that would be that a would squad. Be, oh, my God. And depending on who Mercedes has, I hope they'll keep South of Van Dorn. I don't buy in the rumor that they'll let go of Van Dorn. I think Paffa could do with a second year, but Van Dorn with a with another year under his belt could be an absolute lethal title contender. And who knows where Gunther will end up. I hope that if Dragon doesn't take any steps forward, that he'll be back on the grid. Um, it could all be really interesting. It's a shame this Formula E season has to end. Ooh, but next year, next year, we already got talks. Like uh, over the weekend, it kind of, it kind of became public because someone just thought the deal was done. But Formula E hasn't said the deal's done because one of the TBC rounds for next year Jakarta. is looking like yeah, Jakarta, Indonesia. Hi, Rezzy. Where <laughs> where the the governor of Jakarta said uh like the governor of Jakarta came to the race uh formally says the talks are still ongoing and they're looking at it but uh the governor of Jakarta is like yeah the race is happening uh spring next year i mean yeah spring 2020 and that is like that fits perfectly one of the tbc slots but obviously formally have yet to confirm this uh the, the always popular TBC round. Of course, we're, we're also getting London back at a new track that might actually be raceable. We got Seoul coming back. We'll still have the New York round, although it's not the championship finale. Many, yeah. many, many good times were had. Many great experiences were had. Uh, and, uh, and New York dropping championships left and right. Just not at Madison Square Garden. I, I'm <laughs> so sorry for your loss and your other loss. So- so yeah, not being losses. the last race of the season, we're not the doubleheader anymore. London's a doubleheader, and the opening weekend of the season will also be a doubleheader. So 
F1, so Effie is going to come back at us very, very quickly. Yes, with the Formula E Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia in December, if I recall. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, Shout-outs as well, by the way, again, to uh, to our friend of the show, Hazel, who has been doing wonderful coverage for Formula E for outlets like Drive Tribe, and thank you for coming on to the show. Um we know you are the hottest mess in the paddock, wherever you are, and we appreciate that and love and respect the hell out of that so much. Um, and thank you, King, for being there to cover all the action as it went down. Um, this was a good, good-ass season. Um, things to look forward to next weekend. Of course, we talked at length about corn. But, of course, we also have DTM and the W Series coming your way from Assen. Two W Series races, including a non-championship round. Non-championship reverse grid race, which I'm calling the Jamie Chadwick Disinvitational. <laughs> oh, there, there's, there's, there, there's a joke here somewhere, but I know you've been through enough after the report we had Monday. <laughs> Jamie, if you're listening to this out there, we apologize and we respect and love the hell out of you as a driver and as an individual. You are awesome and keep winning and being awesome. We've got IMSA at Lime Rock for a GT only special uh, around the undulating Connecticut track. That should be fun. Not a whole lot else, so it may be a thin one for episode 204. But hey, you can listen to this and the other episodes back, and you can listen to all of our episodes. On Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast, Motorsport 101 for all things Motorsport 101, YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you wish to follow us personally, you can at Harrison 101 HD at Ryan Eric King. That's with two K's, Stuart at RJ O'Connell. <laughs> And at C to Hardy for Chris. Uh, we thank Chris for being a part of our IndyCar recap from Toronto. Um, and join us for episode 204 as we'll go over what should be a cracking race at Iowa this Saturday night. So for Andre Harrison, for Christopher DeHardy, and for Ryan Eric King, I'm RJ O'Connell saying so long and thank you very much for listening. Later, y'all. Bye. Hi everyone, welcome to the Motorsport 101 ASMR episode. We're going to go after Toronto for IndyCar, New York for Formula E, and we're going to preview some more racing coming up. Get ready for the succulents, because it's here. Please tell Andre to stop to bring out a safety car. I don't know if I'll use this as the intro, but I at least want to incorporate this as, as some outtakes. Yes, outtakes. Outtakes for your episode of Motorsport 101. You right, dollars a month for this content. Robert Wickens with his lovely fiance. Look at look at the lush interior of the Sakurana sets. And the ring throttle and the handbrake. Yes. Yes, it's it, it's so comfortable and ergonomic. It's it's perfect for a for a hot lap around exhibition place.
the home of your 2019 NBA champion, Toronto Raptors. We the North. We the North. They know how to sink a lot of balls. Oh, my. You want to get a dominant seven-footer in the (laughs) (laughs) We're actively turning people off of the show. (laughs) Welcome to the Christmas album, (laughs) y'all.